introduction. I don't feel like I deserve it, but I, I like it. So, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> in thinking about to speak about tonight, I said to uh, talk to you about education and school and the public school. And, but in, in, in preparing, I prepared a message, and, and uh, I got just so I just got so angry, so mad about what. Uh, educators are doing to the children of the country. I just, I felt almost pressed. I don't, I don't go through bouts of depression, but uh, I was just really, just getting, just really frustrated. And uh, I wanted, I wanted to go to every church country and just rail about the what's going on in the public schools. And, and unless you've studied it, unless you uh, really researched it out, uh, it's, it's, it. Uh, you really wouldn't know what's going on. You drive by a, a public school, and boy, it looks like a public nice school. And we built a brand new one in Hammond, and I, we, I mean, the, the taxpayers did. And, but uh, but there's some awful, evil things going on in those classrooms. And uh, and I'm I'm serious. I mean, evil, evil, evil. Just wicked. And uh, I'm getting riled up now, and I'm not even preaching about. But uh, but um, but I decided the uh, Lord uh, led, led me in a different direction about tonight to, to, to try to help everybody here. But uh, let me just say, say this: you've got a, a, a great thing going here with this church. Uh, I feel sorry. I was thinking this morning. I, I feel sorry for anybody in this area that doesn't come to this church. I drove down Fayette Street. Fayette Street. And we uh, went by several Baptist churches with no services tonight, and I, I thought, boy, uh, those people are really missing the by not being in here. You've got them going. You've got something good going. Your Christian school have got some very, very good teachers. Uh, I, don't, uh, I don't know that uh, I've ever been to another school that had more dedicated uh, and more mature in the teaching business than the, the teachers at Christian schools. So you should uh, support them, put your kids in school. If you've got kids in public school, get them out while you still have them. And I'm, I'm dead serious about that. And uh, put them in the Christian school under under godly, God-fearing, spirit-led uh, people that, that will love your children like you do. So uh, I think I better pray and get better to... Uh, <laughs> to speak to you tonight. So uh, let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, I thank you for this. Thank you for uh, the spirit that is here uh, of the Christian spirit and the spirit of love. And uh, I pray that you'd bless now during this last few minutes of, uh, of speaking that uh, everybody in this room would benefit from your word and uh, the truth of your word. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, if you have uh, your Bibles, let's turn to Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. Uh, Acts chapter 11 verse 19. Uh, I asked the school teachers today, uh, I was trying to show them how it is to forget. forget. I said, uh, do you remember what I preached last year when I came here? And they all said, whiners are wieners. And uh, it surprised me that they remembered. Uh, and, uh, so I... I <laughs> I, hope, uh, I hope, hope that you remember this message next year as well as they remembered wine winners or whiskey, but uh, that's, that's not one of my uh, more spiritual messages. I was just venting last year, so 
<laughs> uh, actually, my, my wife was whining in as I left the, the, left the house last year, and so it was on my mind. Anyway, Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Uh, now, now uh, they were scattered about upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, as far as Venice and Cyprus and Antioch, preferred to none but unto the Jews only. So, the, after the persecution in Jerusalem, Jews fled, just uh, just like people are fleeing persecution in Ukraine right now. That's what happens when there's persecution. In verse 20, some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the Lord was with them, and a great number believed, and turned turn to the Lord. Now, when the Bible says a great number believed, it's in there was a revival going on. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would come to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the host and of faith, and much people were added unto the Lord. So Barnabas goes, there's a lot of people getting saved. Barnabas goes up there and sees all these people, so he preaches to them and to them, taught them, and uh, more people got saved. And uh, they, the revival uh, spread as much people was added unto the Lord. And departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. I think this thought, man, man, this thing is getting bigger than I ever expected. And sent him to Tarsus to get Saul, uh, later uh, called Paul, and uh, and he needed his help. In verse 26, when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So let's go back and dissect a little bit. There's persecution. The people, many of the people that were saved, uh, fled to different cities. One of the cities was Antioch. And as they fled from uh, Jerusalem to Antioch, people asked, why are we here? What, why are we fleeing Jerusalem? And uh, they told them, and many of these Jews then got saved. And I don't know how they, uh, what they said exactly, but uh, many believed. Word reached back to Jerusalem about this great uh, revival taking place up in Antioch, Antioch in Syria. And so Barnabas um, goes up there, and a lot more people start getting saved. And, and then so Barnabas goes to seek Saul and gets Saul there. Now, the interesting thing about this is that this is the first time in the Bible that the word Christian is used. Uh, <clears throat> the first, uh, prior to this, in, uh, in the book of anybody who became a believer was called a believer uh, because they believed in Christ. They accepted as their Savior. But um, after one year, these believers now were not called believers anymore. They were called Christians. Now, what happened to the in the space of 12 months that they went from being a believer to being a Christian? Uh, what was different? Something happened to these people that other people recognized them as followers of Christ. They were no longer just believers of Christ. Now they were like Christ, or Christ wanted to put it that way. Now, the fact that we get saved does not mean that we have become a Christian. Now, we don't. We use the Christian. Uh, you know, 
if somebody gets saved or accepts Christ, Christ Savior, we say he became a Christian. But that's really not a proper, not a proper term. You become a believer, but you earn the title of Christian. If somebody points to him and says, that man is Christ-like, or that woman is a follower of Christ, and then they know it, they can spot it, they see it by your behavior. You are a Christian. But if you believe, uh, you're a believer. Now let's jump ahead many years to 1965 when I joined the Marines. June 6, 1965, I listed in the Marine Corps to sign my paper, and I thought that as soon as I signed in there that I was a Marine. I found out uh, about 20 days later that I wasn't. I, uh, I took a plane to South Carolina and then took a bus, a trailways bus from Charleston to Paris Island, South Carolina. And, and got off the trailways bus and uh, the camel cigarette, uh, took that, threw it away, threw it in the swamp. Walked, walked across the highway to the main gate of the base, and then there was a gate guard there. And I thought he'd be glad to see me. Uh, I, uh, I stuck out my hand. I probably had a real stupid grin on my face. I don't know. but And I never felt heat like this in my life. But I, I stuck out my hand, and I said, Hi, I'm a new And he got down and put his, the, the bill cover right on my forehead, hit me in the forehead with his cover, and he said, Look puke, you ain't even close to being a Marine. And I realized and understood at that point, things were not exactly the way I expected that they were going to be. He, I, I, really, I really thought he was going to be able to see me. But uh, I took the, took the old enlistment, I signed my enlistment papers, uh, received my enlistment contract, a copy of it. I got my Marine Corps record book and so forth. And now I show up at boot and I find out that I'm not on a Marine. I'm just a slimy puke. And in the, the life of a, of a Marine, uh, there's only the, the lowest level of human life form is a recruit. And he's, he's a puke, and of course they call him a lot of, a lot of other different things too. But, but the only thing lower than a recruit is a civilian. Uh, and uh, you learn that very quickly. No one called Marine. Marine called me a lot of other things, but nobody called me a Marine. Three months later, after 12 weeks of boot camp, uh, we marched across the parade deck. The Marine Corps band was playing in the Marine Corps. Probably one of the proudest moments of my life up to the point. I'm sure it was. Much I had worked harder in those stunts than I did for four years of a high school diploma. But uh, they played the Marine Corps hymn. The general called us the Marine for the, for the first time. They gave us an eagle globe and anchor for our collar and so forth. And I learned that you don't join the Marines. You become a Marine. And something had happened between day one of camp and day 90 of a boot camp. And something had definitely changed. And I had made a transition from civilian to Marine. Semper Dallas became, became my mindset. And I was a, a different person at the end of boot camp than I was at the beginning. And uh, no longer was I a slimy puke, for which I was very glad. Uh, I went to Paris Island thinking like a civilian, acting like a civilian, behaving like a civilian. And three months later, I'm thinking and acting and behaving like a which is completely different. Now, what had happened to me during those three months? What did they do to me to change what was up here and here. They had done something. Uh, and and I, I'd gone from a civilian to being a Marine. Now, Pastor asked me one time, he said, how can, how can the Marines take a, a, a kid off the street 
send him to the camp for 12 weeks and, uh, and make a young man out of him willing to die for his country. How can they do that in 12 weeks? And I said, well, I'm not quite sure, uh, but they do it. And uh, there was a, a, an uh, author who was a uh, writer for, for the New York Times, and uh, he, was, uh, he was with the Marines in Somalia uh, back in the 90s, late 90s. And uh, Somalia is a dirt place in Africa. And uh, he found himself out on a patrol in the darkest part of the night. And then there was a squad leader, 20 years old, in this patrol. And he, he watched it and listened to squad leader sergeant led these 10 or 12 men in the squad on this patrol through the night. And he thought to himself, but what am I putting my life in the hands of this 20-year-old kid? In New York, we wouldn't even let him use the copy machine by himself without proper training. And he, he, he thought to himself, what is it that they do in boot camp changes these kids from from off the street into leaders that uh, demand the respect of their men. And so he did a study of it, and what I'm going to do is try to give you actually the results of what his study does. And uh, he wrote a book called Making the Core. You can get it and read it. It's, it's an interesting study. But uh, the first thing that happened was when I walked into, when, when I left the gate guard there, I was, he made me stand there for about an hour before the truck came to pick me up and take me into the end of the base. But, uh, <clears throat> but I walked into this barracks, and the sergeant met me, and he said, empty your pockets. I took everything in my pockets and put it in a box. He said, all right, down that hallway. So I went down, down the hallway. He used to say hallways. He said passageways. They, they don't have hallways in the Marine Corps, just passageways. They don't have floor. They only have decks. They don't have ceilings. They have overheads. It's a whole different language you've got to learn. But uh, he said, go down that passageway. So I went down on there. Another sergeant made me take off all my clothes. I took off all my clothes and put them in the box. He gave me a little wrap around myself. He said, go into the uh, tower. I'm, I'm sorry. He said, get in line over there. There's all the rest of the men were over there in a, in a line. And uh, so he said, um, he, we were in a line to get a haircut. And uh, he said, you have your haircut any way you want. You just tell the barber what you want. And of course, some of the guys actually believed him. And, but uh, so we went there, and they shaved every hair off the top of our head. Right? In some cases, if you had a little pimple or something, the pimple came in. And uh, so they, they were... They were not at all uh, um, uh, shy about it. So everything, everything came on. And they took that to the box and uh, they mailed it home. And what they had done, well, after, after we got, got out of the door, then we went to put, they gave us a uniform, we put on a Marine uniform. And what they had done was they had separated us from everything we had known in the past. The only thing that differentiated me from all the other 75 guys in my platoon was my really sharp hair. I, I, uh, this was back in 65, and I had hair. I had slick back. You know, I, was, I was really cool. And for those, of you that are, for those of you that are cool, you understand how I felt at the time. But, uh, <clears throat> but um, they separated everything that I knew uh, in the past. Uh, if I was going to be a Marine, I could not be a civilian. I had to give up what I knew as a civilian. So, uh, I, I, and so I joined the Marine Corps, and it separated. I got no mail uh, for about three weeks. No parents didn't know where I was. In those days, in those days they, they, they record your phone message, and then they send in the recorded message home. But 
Uh, we go mail, no no photo, no text, no Instagram. None of that stuff was even invented then. But we had no paper, no radio, no TV, uh, no music, no nothing. Just complete, total separation. Everything I needed, they were going to give me. Uh, <coughs> you cannot be a Marine and hang on to the old, old life. Uh, there's too much dedication, too much sacrifice, too much devotion to duty. There's too much that you have to give to be a Marine and, and still have those civilian attitudes. Dying to self is not an empty phase in a Marine Corps. Uh, uh, billions don't, don't smother grades. And death before dishonor is a, is a real thing to, uh, to a Marine. It's to, to a civilian. Now, let me change gears a little bit. They had separated, and uh, <clears throat> three years later, I'm on my way to Vietnam, and uh, I, we're, we're about 3 o'clock in the morning. We, we get on a bus. We take it to the Marine Corps of Toro. And uh, we were walking through a hangar, getting, getting on the plane to go to Vietnam, and the reading wives are handing out New Testaments. And uh, I took one out of my pocket, got it on the plane, and somewhere over the Pacific, took out that New Testament, started paging through, through it, and I didn't understand a whole lot about it. Uh, I hadn't had a bone in my hand for, for years. I was a little boy. And, uh, but I, I started looking through it, and I got to the back of the Bible, and in the back of this uh, New Testament, in the back of the New Testament, was a, the, the plan of salvation. And I read through that plan of salvation, got down to it, and it said, if you believe these verses, say this prayer and sign here. So I went back over every verse, and, and see, yeah, I, I believe that, I believe that. And I got to the prayer, and I said the prayer to myself, and signed it, Tom Burrow, uh I think it was uh, March 6th, 1968, but I signed it and dated it. And uh, <clears throat> so I got saved on plane on, on my Vietnam. I became a believer. If I'd have been killed in Vietnam, went to heaven, I would have had no idea how I got there or why I was there. Uh, but I, I do know that I, I became a believer on that airplane. Now, the only problem was, even though I was a believer, uh, I felt like an unsaved man. Uh, I acted like an unsaved man. I talked like an unsaved man. I behaved like an unsaved man. I believed those verses. I did everything that the Bible said I had to do to go to heaven. But you would have never confused me with a Christian. If, uh, if you had a daughter, my age, you would have never thought with me. Because I was, I was an unsaved man. For all practical purposes, I was a believer, but as an unsaved man, I had still the same mindset as uh, an unsaved person. And, uh, but, but I had taken the first step toward heaven, but I had not taken the first toward being a Christian. Because the first step toward being a Christian after you get saved is separation. You, uh, you, you can't accept a, a Christian without the act of separation. Now, three years later, I uh, got an honorable discharge, and I, I, I got in the Marine Corps, and uh, went home. And I had not been to church since I was 12 years old. Now I was 24, I think. And, uh, and I met and I met a girl who became my girlfriend and my fiance and later my wife. And uh, and uh, you know why she dated me, I have no, no idea. Uh, but uh, maybe she thought I was a mission field or something. But but uh, but salvation uh, <coughs> uh, has not changed my life because I was not separated. When I met my wife. 
that changed my life. Our first date, I asked her to go to a movie, and she said, I don't go to movies. And I, I heard that, so I said, well, what, what do you do? And she said, well, would, would you like to go to Sunday school or church with me tomorrow? Okay, you know, cheap date, I'll, I'll do that. And so we went to, I didn't know I was going to Sunday school, but we, she took me to Sunday school, she took me to church, she took me home for Sunday afternoon dinner, and uh, after dinner we took her to, you know, walk around the block or something, something like that. And then lo and behold, I find out they have church on Sunday night, I went back to Sunday night, so three times, three services in one day, uh, more than I had done in the last 10, 15 years. But uh, but then um, uh, something happened, though, because of that. Now, now, let me go back to camp. The Marine Corps separated me from the past. And the next thing they did was to train me. They trained me in instant obedience to orders. They trained me in the Marine Corps way. Now, there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things, and there's a Marine Corps way to do things. You, in the Marine Corps, you do it the way. Why? Because that's why. You don't have to have to have a reason. They just they just do. So, so the reason said so, and uh, and so I had to do what they said. So whatever the training was, they gave it to us. Now there's a Corps way for doing everything. There's a way to march. There's a way to cadence for marching. Uh, wearing of the uniform. Marines um, don't carry umbrellas. They don't chew gum in uniform. They don't put their, their hands in their pocket in uniform. Uh, there are dozens of traditions that are the Marine Corps way, and there's no necessarily rhyme or reason for it. That's just the way they do it, and that's the way they want it, and that's the way they need to do it. And and, uh, and you better do it their way. I remember uh, the commandant, uh, there was a, right after the war, there was a little problem with the hair length on the Marines. And the commandant sent out a, a it's called a, a Marine Corps order, he, he just basically said, if you don't like hair standards, get out of the Marine Corps, but you're going to keep our hair standards. And that's basically what it amounted to. He didn't have to have a reason to it. It's just the way it was. And uh, there didn't have to be a why. And so they separated me, uh, and then they trained me. And, of course, they trained me in a lot of different things, Preparing me for the when a few years down the road I was going to be in combat and, and I need training. Now, by the way, let me say this, especially young people, uh, I did not know what I needed when I went to Vietnam. I didn't did not know what to be faced with, and I didn't know what challenges were going to be there. I didn't know what how my emotions were going to be. I, I knew nothing about combat, and so they, they they told me they trained me the way that they wanted. And uh, as you're growing up, young people. I mean, don't do it wrong, but you're not smart enough to know what you need in life. Uh, you're, you're a teenager or a young adult. There are going to be a lot of things you're going to be faced with, and you have no, no idea what's down the road. These older people here, they, they've been experiencing things that you, you have no idea what, what you're, what you're going to when you face that. So you listen to the old people uh, over and over and over again. Uh, they taught us things that we, we should we needed to know, and I thought that doesn't make any sense. I don't understand. But I, I, I accepted the training and I obeyed it. And let me say this too: uh, this is very part of the message. But but understanding follows obedience. If you don't know why you're supposed to supposed to do something, just do it anyway. If you don't get what God's saying, you obey anyway, and you will later come to understand it. Uh, it, um, it, it is so important 
obedience from us more than any other single thing. If we will obey him, we will give him everything else that he wants from us. But uh, in any event, uh, so I separated, I started to be trained. Now, uh, after, I, after I met my wife, I started, instead of going to church, I started to grow spiritually. And uh, I gave up my liquor, gave up my cigars. I went to church regularly uh, and uh, went to Sunday night, Wednesday night. And then uh, baptized. Now, I learned this when I got baptized. Uh, <clears throat> you can forget that, that you had been saved. And I did. I forgot after three years of, of uh, living a, an unsaved life type of life, I had forgotten that I had accepted Christ as my Savior. Uh, but, but you never get baptism. You don't forget it when the preacher puts you under the water and... and, and and brings you back up again. And that's one of the reasons why every person who accepts Christ as a Savior, not only does it signify a separation from the old you, it also reminds you, you always remember that you're baptized. I've talked to people, gone through the plan of salvation with them, and I said, I'd like to get saved. And they say, you know, I did that already. I said that prayer, and I became a believer. But they forgot about it. But you, you won't forget baptism. So I got baptized. My mom said to me, why are you getting baptized? Uh, you got baptized when you were a baby. And, I, and I'm, a, I'm a young believer now. And I said, well, I don't know why I'm baptized. I really didn't. It's just that that's, and my, my mom said, well, that, I guess that's what Baptists do. That's why you're called Baptists, because you baptize. And so, uh, so she didn't understand. I understand. But I obeyed, and later I did come to understand why baptism is so important. So uh, the, uh, the Marines separated me from my past, and then they trained me the way that they wanted me to be trained so that I could survive in combat, so I could survive uh, in the field. And then they gave me the third thing after separation and training. The third thing they gave me was values. They gave me a completely different set of values than I had as a Marine. One of them death before dishonor. It is honorable. It is, uh, it is better to be dead than to dishonor uniform. Uh, honor, courage, and commitment. Semper Fidelis, Marine Corps motto, always faithful. These things were values that I did not have before I went to Marine Corps. These things that they instilled in me over and over and over again. And one of the main things they teach in uh, Marine boot camp and throughout the entire time of the, uh, I was in the Marines, Marine Corps history. Now, it wasn't always accurate in Marine Corps history, but it was always Marine Corps history that showed these particular values. Integrity and justice, judgment and dependability, enthusiasm, bearing, courage, unselfishness, sacrifice, endurance, decisiveness, tact, knowledge, and obedience. These Marine values that they hammered. I was in for... for uh, in uh, active duty and reserve for over three years. And every year, these values kept coming back at us. And they transformed us from civilian to Marines by separating us, by training us, and by giving us values. Those are the three things that changed me. Now, the three things that changed me from being a believer to being a Christian were separation, training, 
and values. And that transformation is absolutely necessary if you're going to be called a Christian. If, if you're going to be Christ-like and follow Christ, you have to be separate. You have to give up the old world. You have to uh, be trained in a new system, uh, Christianity, and you have to accept the value that Christ has given to us. Uh, I was at a basketball game one time, and uh, I was getting ready to start the game, and I was standing at the scorer's table and at the other side of the gym or the, uh, the garden. And I went over and talked to them and told them something. I forget what it was, but uh, but I came back and got ready to uh, uh, lead in the national anthem and prayer. I didn't lead in the national anthem. I said stand for prayer in the national anthem. <laughs> uh, but but, uh, but uh, I led in prayer, and, and uh, when I did that, the referee was standing right there, and, and he didn't know me. I didn't know him, but he said, uh, "Were you ever in the Marine?" And I said, yeah. And he said, uh, why do, I said, why do you ask? Said, because when you went over there to talk to the color guard, you seemed to mark there rather than just walk over there. See, I had, I had separated myself. I had been trained by the Marines and adopted their values. Somehow that had changed and it transformed my life. Uh, the, uh, do people recognize instinctively that you're a Christian? Uh, I, one time he came up to me, uh, I don't know where I was now, but he, I had my overcoat on and tie and all that, and he said, are, are, are you a director? And I said, no, and, uh, and uh, he gave me an opportunity to talk to him and to witness to him. Uh, being a Christian is not you getting saved. All that does is get you to become a believer. Being a Christian means to have been separated from the world. And people will recognize that right away. I, I had a sailor ask me the other day, how did you witness men that were in your unit? And I told him, I said, I wasn't pushing, I wasn't overbearing. I said that uh, I put my Bible on my rack when I left in the morning, when I came home at night, or when, when I got up in the morning, I read my Bible. When I got back to the barracks at night, I, I read my Bible. And uh, guys came coming around on me. They started asking me questions about the Bible. In fact, that I didn't see them, and they were just one follow word after Immediately, I, I was different, and they knew something different. And they would come and talk to me, and they would ask me things. And uh, and, uh, and and that's that's how I became a, a witness in every unit that I was in. And you, some of my commanding officers asked me to preach Sunday if we were out in the field, and uh, they would have me pray before we went out on operations and things like that. But uh, I had become a Christian because of, of the training and the values that I received through the book, book and through the pulpit uh, of the church that we attended. To be a Christian, you have to be separated. You have to be to be true. And you have to have Christian values. Now, the thing takes place right here from this pulpit or from your Sunday schools and from the Bible that you read uh, on a daily basis. So, but without those three things, you can really consider yourself a Christian, and people will not recognize that you're a Christian. You know, on a job, you don't have to, you don't have to go up to everybody and ask them uh, if, uh, if they were to die today, do you know you'd go to heaven? You know, if, if you've done that at all, anywhere, you know, some people are going to be uh, real, real uh, negative about that, that effort, but uh, it doesn't take much for people to recognize that you're a Christian, uh, and, uh, and you don't you don't have to be bearing. You just, you just uh, take out a track and here read it to get a chance. Would you please? And uh, and they'll know that you're different. They'll know that you're a Christian. That's what these people in Antioch 
they recognize all of a sudden these people are, are completely different. Uh, well, I'm sorry, it wasn't all of a sudden. It was during the space of 12 months that they became different. Uh, they started out as believers, but ended up being Christians. So whatever is in your life that you need, whether it be the training from this pulpit or the Bible reading that you read your own, uh, or if it's the separation that you uh, you need to work on that, or is it the values? Uh, I don't know what percentage of people in a in a church tithe, uh, but, but uh, I know it's not a hundred percent, and that's your value. Uh, now, why should you tithe? I'm not sure exactly why you should tithe, except that God wants us to tithe. And I do know this: that if you will obey that, you will understand later why you should tithe. Uh, you know, after many, many years of tithing and faith promise meeting, uh, I understand it completely. I understand God's blessings because I have obeyed Him. Uh, if we obey God, He's going to bless us. And, uh, and that's one reason to tithe. But I can't prove it to you. Uh, you just have to obey, and God will, God will, take slack, will, will bless you because of that. So, where are you in your Christian life? If you're, if you're weak in separation or weak in training or weak in values, uh, do you hand out tracts? Do you witness to people? Uh, those are all Christian values. So <clears throat> wherever you are, uh, I would suggest very strongly to either, uh, I'll give an invitation here in a minute, just a quick one, but but, but uh, either here or tonight or someplace, you, you talk to the Lord and you say, okay, I, I know I'm weak in this area, and uh, and maybe it's all three, maybe it's one. Maybe you you've arrived, and uh, I had I know that, but uh, uh, but you just talk to the Lord, Lord, with your help, I'm going to improve myself, inspiration, or train, or values, and and I I get I get well I, I'm done. I don't want to spend all night hammering on hammering on you, but. One of those areas uh, all of us can improve in. It's our heads for prayer. Lord, I pray your, your blessing on uh, uh, all of us now that, uh, that we'd learn to obey you and to uh, 